Sola Scriptura was one of the rallying cries for much of the Reformation. In an age where papal bulls and edicts, councils and traditions, they carried equal and in some instances greater weight than the Bible, it signified a return to scriptural orthodoxy, maintaining that scripture alone was the governing authority over doctrine, the church, and Christian life. Carrying with them the weight of being the divinely inspired word of God, many of these reformers, many of these reformers, they sought to shed the man made for the God ordained. Yet with the rise of the Second Great Awakening, the principle of Sola Scriptura, it took on a new life and a new direction that gave it a different meaning or purpose than that which the Reformers intended. Having drawn on the experiences and the works of previous generations of Christians, particularly the early church fathers, the Reformers, they had no intention of abandoning books and writings that conformed to scriptures. Yet now, well, now arose the idea of no book but the Bible. This week, as we continue our exploration of common expressions found in Christianity, we will consider this statement and if it actually measures up, if it is indeed a proper representation of sola scriptura and a principle that Christians, they should abide by and apply to their lives. I'm Wyatt McIntyre, and this is our timeless faith. Last week we explored the expression, no creed but Christ. This week we're going to examine what could largely be considered to be its sister statement, that is, namely, no book but the Bible. Much like no creed but Christ, this expression, it arose out of the Second Great Awakening, gaining strength with well-meaning Christians who sought to return to a more biblical understanding of Christianity. They looked at the church, and what they saw they didn't like. They believed that it was filled with corruption. Corruption that caused these splits and these schisms, these divisions and offenses, which they then attributed to extra-biblical sources, to these writings that were outside of Scripture that were used within the Christian church. They believed that traditions, traditions were the cause of the problems that they saw. If only you could step away from tradition and return to the Bible, at least as the argument goes, these struggles, these struggles would just, they would suddenly go away. They would disappear. They would vanish from sight. And there would be a renewed sense of spirituality. There would be this new sense of the Christian life that grew out of the soul. And it would occur without the 
the dead orthodoxy that they saw all around them pulling them back, just holding them back. This dead orthodoxy that they believed was caused by the heavy weight of this extra biblical baggage that was just bearing down on it and crushing it. Scripture, after all, as Paul would explain to his young protege Timothy, is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Why would anything else be necessary, they would argue? Why would you need any other work? Why would you need any other writing when you had this? This was everything that you could possibly need and then some. And to look to these other writings would be to take away from it, would to be to detract from it. In this sense, they believed and continue to believe today that they were and are recapturing the Reformation spirit of sola scriptura, that is, namely, scripture alone. Yet the question we have to ask is, are they? Are they really recapturing the Reformation idea of sola scriptura? Is this actually a proper understanding? Is it necessary to abandon all other religious literature, all other Christian work, in order to return to scriptural orthodoxy and a biblical understanding of what the faith is meant to look like, what the faith should be in the life of the believer? The simple answer to that question is no. No, it's not. In fact, it can be incredibly dangerous. It can be incredibly dangerous to step away from these other writings and these other understandings and can lead to something that runs quite contrary to what biblical Christianity should look like. But before we get too deep into that and before we start to delve too far into that question or to, into that answer, I do believe it's important to recognize something, to say something right from the outset, right from the get-go, just so that there is absolutely no confusion and there's absolutely no misrepresentation of anything that is being said here on after. And this is namely that the scriptures, the scriptures are truly unique. The scriptures are truly unique. Paul describes them as the theanuitos, that is, God-breathed. They are given by the inspiration of God. They are the divinely inspired, inerrant word of God. 
the author of Hebrews, he states very clearly, the word of God, it is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joint and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. They are what can be considered, or what must be rightly seen as the norma normans. That is, the norming norms, or the rule that rules. In this sense, the scriptures, the scriptures have the full authority to govern over any and every aspect of Christian life and doctrine. They have full authority to govern over all Christians and the church. They are the standard by which all other standards are measured. Let me repeat that. The scriptures, they are the standard by which all other standards are measured. Like I said, that's important to just clarify right from the get-go to avoid any sort of confusion. And so, with that being said, let's actually delve into this. Because what we have to begin by doing is recognizing something. And that is that what this proclamation, no book but the Bible, fails to recognize is the reason why these works exist and why they are actually incredibly important to the Christian faith. The reason? The reason, first and foremost, is because of the history of Christianity. As we discussed last week in last week's episode, even from the earliest days of the faith, false teachings and false doctrines arose. These false teachings and these false doctrines then sought to supplant Orthodox Christianity. They sought to usurp it, to mold it into their image of what they believed that Christianity should look like, what Christianity should mean. Ultimately, when it came right down to it, they taught a different Christ than the one that can be found in Scripture, the one that we can recognize through the progressive revelation of the Bible. It became necessary at that point to defend the faith, to protect it from these counterfeit forms of it. It was Paul, after all, who said to Timothy in his first epistle to him to guard the deposit that had been entrusted to him. Those words, those words that were offered by the apostle, they were not simply an instruction to the preacher by someone who saw him as a spiritual son. Rather, what they have to be seen as is 
an instruction that was intended for all of us, an instruction that was intended for each and every one of us. Now, what we have to actually look at here then is the history of the theological debates, the history of these arguments as they arose, and what these false teachings actually looked like, what these false doctrines, what the form of these false doctrines were. And what we come to is the recognition that those who held to this orthodox view of scripture, well, they weren't the only ones who affirmed the authority of the Bible as the word of God. They weren't the only ones who held the scripture and elevated it up as a divinely inspired word of God. Rather, when we look at it and when we closely examine it, what we see is that both sides, both sides of the debate in many of these questions of orthodoxy and heresy, they affirmed the same view. Those who held to one form of heresy or another, they affirmed scripture. The Arians, for example, they didn't dismiss scripture as wrong in its teachings on Christ. Rather, what they did was they derived a different meaning from it. The same can be said for many of the heretical sects that would arise in the earliest days of Christianity and that would grow during that time. In response, theologians and apologists, in their careful study of the word, they sought to articulate and defend the faith. They sought to protect it from misrepresentation and misunderstanding. In that, what they produced wasn't the norma norm. It wasn't the rule to govern all other rules. That was already there. That was scripture. Instead, what they produced was the norma normata, or the norm which is normed. This represented the theology that is ultimately derived from scripture. The theology and the doctrine, the understanding that is governed by the word of God and that is never, never in conflict with it. These are there then to add clarity, recognizing that without this clarity, we can easily adopt a wishy-washy or a fuzzy or a just plain wrong view of what scripture is teaching. Recognizing that without this clarity, we can very easily fall into the trap of heresy. We can very easily fall into the trap of understanding 
in an incorrect manner or applying our own knowledge and wisdom, our own worldview, our own perspective and experience to Scripture, and in that, trying to make it form around us, rather than trying to form ourselves to it. The works that were produced by these authors, the works that were produced by these protectors and defenders and warriors for the faith, they were then instrumental in shaping our proper understanding of what Scripture was actually saying. They were instrumental in defending the true teachings that would arise from the Word. The same can be said of later works, Important works that sought to push back against an incorrect understanding or that sought to defend right teaching in the face of in the face of these ideas that existed not only outside of scripture but that existed in direct conflict with it. The confessions, for example, that would arise out of the Reformation, they were not there to try and supplant the Word of God. They were there to reinforce it. They were there to encourage proper worship of God, to encourage a proper understanding of what the Scripture was actually saying in a time of darkness, in a time where that understanding, it was hard to come by, and it wasn't being offered by the church. Even a brief glimpse of those writings and how they use scripture to affirm each and every point that was made proves it. They were intended to explain scriptural orthodoxy. They were intended to explain scriptural doctrine, scriptural theology in a manner that upheld its integrity and defended it. Today, in an age where we witness these old heresies repackaged as somehow new, as they're repackaged in these innovative ways to understand the Bible, where we witness compromises on all sorts of scriptural teachings in the name of unity or in the name of progress or in the name of cultural exception, ex acceptance, where we see the reinterpreting and the reimagining of what is said in the Word of God, where we witness deconstruction just taking hold. It is incredibly important. It is incredibly important to articulate scriptural teachings in a clear and coherent manner. And because of that, what we have to recognize, what we have to really come to understand 
is that this idea of no book but the Bible, it is a utopian fantasy of this side of heaven. In fact, what we see when we sit down and we really examine things is the fact that those who have adopted this creed, those who have adopted this confession for their faith, they have a tendency more often than not to slip into unbiblical teaching as passages are taken out of context and there is a failure to allow for the principle of allowing for scripture to interpret scripture. They fall into unbiblical teaching because they don't have anything that ultimately grounds them, that offers to them the insight that they need in order to truly discern what is actually being said. Because they're relying on their own knowledge, they're relying on their own wisdom, and they're forgoing the they're forgoing the actual teachings because they said, well, we can under we we can understand it on our own and we don't need these sources. When in fact they absolutely do. As I think about it and as I really consider it, I think about A.W. Tozer's book, Knowledge of the Holy, and in there, he talks about how we've lost our sense of the majesty of God, and the reason why we've lost that sense of the majesty of God is because we don't see him rightly, and one of the reasons we don't see him rightly is because we don't spend time in the Father's. We don't spend time reading these books that just uphold the majesty of God, that really truly give us a proper understanding of who God is and what he's doing. And he's absolutely right. In this sense, ignoring the earlier writings of the church ignoring the earlier writings of the fathers, ignoring the confessions and the creed, they do not provide one with a monopoly on biblical Christianity. They just, they don't. Nor do we find that it necessarily provides them even with clarity on all matters of doctrine and theology. Be, we find that it doesn't necessarily give them the clarity that they need on biblical teachings and understanding. Instead, what can easily be found is that the opposite is there. By ignoring these writings, by ignoring these confessions, by ignoring these creeds, they don't necessarily have the wisdom that they need. And in that, it can foster a misuse of Scripture that puts one outside of the norms of the true faith. Avoiding things like confessional Christianity or systematic theology, they can end up 
not simply falling short in their understanding, but also compromising in it because they don't have the vision that is necessary. They don't have the clarity that is necessary because they have decided that they don't need the instruction that is put in front of them. To this end, what has to be recognized is that the writings of the church, the writings of the fathers, the confessions, the creeds, these various different books, these various different affirmations of our faith, they can be a blessing to us. They can help us to grow, to understand. They can show us points that they are that we might have otherwise been missing. They can help to solidify thoughts and ideas in our minds, and they can equip us for the defense of our faith. They are a gift from God. They are a gift from God that he protected, not in the same way that scripture is a gift from God or in the same way that God defended and maintained scripture for our benefit, but still a gift for a gift from him to us. They can be life affirming. They can be life giving, helping in the process of transformation as we mature in our faith. I know in my own personal life, my spiritual growth took on a whole new element, a whole new dimension, a whole new focus as I started to really delve into the writings and the works of the early church fathers. As I just humbled myself and I let them direct me, I didn't abandon scripture, I didn't stop reading my Bible, but rather I added their writings to my life. And thus, I allowed for their insight to grant me wisdom. And in that, it has produced fruit that really has nourished not just myself, but others in my life. To abandon or disregard the writings of true Christians, to ignore creeds and confessions because you want to affirm the idea of no book but the Bible? Well, that can just, that can be dangerous. It can lead to problems in your Christian walk. It can lead to a very unbiblical form of Christianity, one that weakens your faith and your understanding, and then in turn can lead to a host of other problems or issues along the way. It can prevent someone from truly understanding the word and applying it to their life in a way or a manner that is obedient to Christ. 
what's more is it's just not a proper understanding of sola scriptura which recognize scripture is prime but also recognizes the importance and significance of other works in the life of the believers the reformers the reformers had no concept no idea about this idea of no book but the bible when they maintained and they upheld the idea of sola scriptura in fact it would run contrary to much of what they understood and much of what they believed there are a lot of well-meaning good intention christians who adopted this idea and they have elevated it as their own confession of faith as they have sought to bring the church back to its roots yet in that they have failed to see the tree and the fruit which the roots of christianity produced through the scripture in that they would cut down the entire tree in order to return to a more simplistic understanding, not recognizing that in doing so, they are working to kill the roots as well. And that's what we have to recognize and understand. So don't compromise on the importance of scripture. Don't compromise on its incredible significance. Hold it up as the authority which governs the Christian faith and the Christian life. Don't, though, discount the significance and the importance of other Christian works. Those works which have defended and protected our faith in times of incredible trial. Those works which have defended and protected our faith and have just been such a blessing in the lives of other believers these are works that had been put forward to ensure that true christianity survived the onslaught even as it found that it had dangers all around it and it was trying to be replaced you ignore these works at your own peril. God reveals himself in many ways. Primary among those ways is through his scriptures and through his word being taught in purity. And in that, these works, these works are a reflection of that. They are a reflection of his scripture, and they are a reflection of his word being taught in purity. They are meant to be used to worship and glorify him. They are meant to be used to preach Christ, true God and true man, crucified. They are meant to recognize 
the power of the Spirit in the life of the believer. But then, that's really all I came on here to say. I want to thank you for joining with me, and I want to encourage you to check me out on the various different social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. I have pages on all of them. You can find me by searching for Wyatt McIntyre. I'm also on the web at wyattmcintyre.com. My website is still under construction, but I'm working on it, so stay tuned, and I will continue giving you updates as they come along. But until the next time, may the peace of the Lord, that peace that surpasses all wisdom, knowledge, and understanding, keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, even unto life everlasting. Amen.